And I think that's a great summary because culture eats strategy for breakfast. But remember what we talked about, execution trumps all. Making money is the scorecard. You know, if it makes dollars, it makes sense, right? So, you know, if there is no income, there is no outcome. And those are little sound bites, but like they are true. So part of building responsible companies is making sure that you build profitable companies. They gotta be tight, right? I'll give you another one I heard this weekend. It was a quarterback I was out there, but he said, we got to tighten up, but we can't get up tight. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership. Allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. All right. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast, episode 39. I think this is that we're recording or 40, something like that. Coming up on 50 episodes, which we know if you get past 50, you'll keep doing this. So we're having a lot of fun. Wanted to take a moment to kind of introduce our guest and this episode's topic. Got a great guest, Jeff Duden, founder of Clean, was able to build that business up and exit and then build multiple other brands. Currently, Homefront Brands is his major focus, but I can't even probably do this introduction right without having him tell us about everything he's working on. But Jeff is the definition of a true entrepreneur. There's a saying that if you could do it once, you know, you got lucky. If you did it twice, then there's more to it. I'm just kidding about being lucky, but it's incredible to see that you're able to take your skill sets that you've developed over the years and get into all these other businesses. So we're just so excited to have this conversation with you. How are you, Jeff? I'm great, Dan. It's great to be on with you and Christian. I've been a big fan of the show and excited to be on here and get to spend some time with you. When you were saying that, my coach gave me a definition of leadership that I really like. It's somebody who can stand on nothing and create something. And, you know, I think entrepreneurs are just gluttons for punishment because they see nothing and they run to it and then they just start building like their own little personal Minecraft game. So, it's a pleasure to be here and excited to talk about entrepreneurship and franchising and all of that. Absolutely. I love that. That's excellent. So I guess a cool place to start then is just your background, Jeff. I mean, we ask everybody every episode just about how did you get into franchising? How did franchising find you? Sure. Well, I'll go quick, but there's some backstory to it because it really ties into my book, The Sermon and everything else. So I was an athlete in high school, basketball player. Figured out that probably wasn't going anywhere. And the football coach came and said, hey, we need somebody to catch. So why don't you come out for the football team? So I tried that. Wasn't great, but I decided I wanted to chase that. So I walked down to a school, University of Northern Iowa, went there for a year. There was some sort of a meeting at the end of the year, and everyone agreed that I shouldn't come back. So I dropped back to a JUCO in Chicago, kind of one of those football factories for wayward you know, underperforming student athletes. But really at that point, that was a turning point in my life where I really focused and I ended up with a football scholarship out to Appalachian State where I showed up with, you know, five t-shirts and a football scholarship. And I wanted to stay there over the summer because the variation between growing up in Chicago and going to a Boone, North Carolina on top of a mountain in the hills there was what I really needed to focus and to kind of chart a new path. So when I was there, I started the painting business doing student housing apartments. And we used all the athletes that were there taking classes over the summer, the basketball players to cut in the ceilings and the wrestlers to do the baseboards. And we rolled the walls. And so that was really my first entrepreneurial experience. And then a buddy called me and said, hey, this hurricane hit South Florida. 
And it was Hurricane Andrew in 1992. So my partner and I went down and cut our teeth in the restoration business, uh, partnered up with three other guys in 94 in Central Florida and created a company that would grow into Advanaclean, which was the business that I ultimately franchised. So over the next 10 years, grew that into a 10 to $20 million a year revenue business, chasing hurricanes and also doing governmental institutional restoration, remediation, environmental services. And then we had offices doing local stuff in Florida and the Carolinas. And then in 2004, I bought my last partner out and I hired some consultants and they brought in these strange words called purpose, vision, mission, values, and helped extract from us kind of the swirl of confusion as to what we were thinking about, you know, how to grow our business. And that led us to creating a mobile fleet of semi-trucks, campers, generators, dehumidifiers. And sure enough, preparation met opportunity and Hurricane Katrina really did a direct hit on New Orleans and the surrounding Gulf Coast. And we responded to that and did a lot of work down there for the next four or five years. But when I was driving back and I was driving through Atlanta, I had three small children at the time because that's how they are when they're born. They're small. Three kids. And my oldest was seven and I was missing his first football season. And I'll never forget, I was driving through the night. I was in Atlanta. I was driving this RV camper thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to risk a perfectly good restoration business and I'm going to pursue the franchising. I'm going to sell all of our locations under a franchise model. So in 2006, seven and eight, that's exactly what we did. And we learned how to be a franchisor by selling our company stores to good contractors that we knew in the local markets, which is how a lot of people start. You know, friends and family, people you know, are the first ones to trust you and buy in. And then we launched to the market in 2009. And I saw a Facebook post where I think I was speaking at Springboard in 2013. We already had 130 locations. And then by 2019, January 1st, when I sold the business, we had 240 locations in 37 states. Wow. (laughs) That's incredible. So you're this business guy who just sees opportunity, you're preparing for it, you're building things up over time. And then eventually you decide that you want to franchise the business. But what was that transition like? Because obviously your core business is a lot different from the franchise business. That's a whole different beast. So what was that transition like to being running and expanding this business yourself versus expanding it through franchising? I see it a lot in emerging founders that have a great business and they want to franchise it. And for us, it took forever for us to get to the market because we were so busy expanding our current business. And then we were borrowing resources to try to build the franchise. And until we literally had to sell our businesses to basically burn the boats, head into the jungle and say, we have to franchise now because we've just sold all of our locations under a franchise model. So yes. It was interesting when you shared the story that you decided to sell all the, you know, you didn't keep anything as a corporate story, you decided to go all in and liquidate, you know, or have that liquidity event and then put it towards franchising. Was there a point at all when you did that, when it was too late to turn back that you thought, what the hell am I doing? Like I took my great business and did this or right away, did you know it was the right decision? Well, we did keep our commercial services group, but the way we looked at that was as a support and a feeder for our franchisees that we would eventually sell because we were doing work all over the country. So our model was is that we would continue to do the work with our own project managers, but we were going to then give the work out to the franchisees as they came on board. So that was a strategy that we had. It actually worked out quite well. You know, one of the things we observed 
in our space, particularly looking at some of the large franchise systems that had come before. And whenever they tried to compete with their franchise network, especially in restoration, they can pop up anywhere. Restoration is a little different because it's event-based. So these jobs just pop up anywhere. And if you compete with your franchisees, we felt like our franchisees needed to know that their business was first and that if there was ever a tie that they were going to get the work. So we kind of cannibalized our commercial services group and our national business, and we gave it to our franchisees. So that was our strategy, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's how it worked out. And then you sell AdvantaClean 2019. What was that process like? I mean, I think a lot of founders, they have their baby, but I think if you're starting with the end in mind, a lot of people do like the idea of someday being able to sell and then move on to the next project and do something else. So what was that process like? Yeah, it was a real challenge for me. I had the business 24 years and 11 months. We were founded February 10th, 1994. So we didn't quite make it 25 years. But I think there was a lot of identity wrapped up inside of that. And for me, I believe that, first of all, I think you can make a different decision today and have a different life tomorrow. And I find people interesting that have many lives inside of a life. So think about it. You know, I was a student and then I was a basketball player and then a college athlete and then a painting contractor and then a restoration contractor and then a franchisor. And now I'm building franchise platforms. So, you know, everybody rises to their own level of incompetence. And as we moved through the business, it was very difficult if I didn't get outside of my business by joining something called Vistage and then ultimately joining something called YPO, Young's President Organization, and getting around other everybody in YPO sold their business. So now all of a sudden, you know, I got in a bigger room and I got around a bigger table and I'm looking at these people. I'm like, oh, there is life after selling a business. And I thought, well, I'm coming up on 50. If I sell it now, then I have optionality. I can do something great. At the core of it, I'm a coach, right? So one of the things I did when I got off the road and started building my franchise business is I coached 30 seasons of my kids' sports. People are like, why are you taking time to do that? Well, I believe that you know leadership has to be very pure when you're dealing with a bunch of 12-year-olds to try to get them to win a football championship over four months. And it's not that different than leading franchise owners, right? The core tenets of leadership apply. So I always felt like I was sharpening my saw in leading every leadership opportunity I could possibly step up to and practice leadership because the field of leadership is everywhere. So in doing that and then getting into a bigger room and getting around other people, really it was clear to me that I had taken the business to a certain point, but if I could put it with somebody in a group of people that it would have a chance to even do better than what I had with it. And and then I would have options and I wouldn't didn't know necessarily what I would do, but late in my franchise career because of my coaching mindset, I started meeting a lot of young emerging franchisors like Devin Klein with Burn Bootcamp. I don't know if you guys know Burn Bootcamp. They have 500 locations. They have 350 open. I mean, he had a parking lot business with 100 members and he walked into a building and said, hey, we want to rent a space. We don't have any credit. We don't have any money. Would you rent it to me for us to put Burn Bootcamp in here? And I said, well, tell me what you want to do. And he told me. And sometimes you have to really look at the people, not the paper. And I gave him the space because I believed him. And sure enough, two years later, he comes to me and says, hey, we've got a great business. We've got a couple of locations. Teach me about franchising. And we're great friends. And I learned a lot about the fitness space and working with them on that business and many other founders that I've worked with over the years. So I knew that there was 
other businesses besides Advanaclean. And there was other people out there that you could impact. And I didn't know exactly what it looked like, but I thought that there could be a bigger, better opportunity to impact people. And at the end of the day, I exist to serve by encouraging entrepreneurs. So the more entrepreneurs that I can impact, the more entrepreneurs that I can be in running life with, then the more I'm on purpose and the happier I am. So that's kind of the way I look at things. And here's the other thing, though. What I've learned in life is there's big decisions, there's big inflection points, driving through Atlanta, giving away a perfectly good business that was serving my needs, and we were set. We didn't need anything else, you know? Giving that business away in favor of the chance of a franchise business and giving that franchise business away in favor of doing what we're doing now, which is being involved in multiple platforms and expanding now, you know, globally, internationally, and things like that. So what I've learned is oftentimes to get something, you have to give something up. So you always have to wake up every day and ask yourself what you want the most. So much gold and everything you just said, but the coaching your kids games, where obviously it's something you're doing for yourself, it's what you enjoy, it's your family, but then also seeing it as an opportunity while doing that, thinking about work-life harmony, right? Where you're enjoying coaching, but you're learning from it. It's funny, I know for me, we do these podcasts and people sometimes say, why do you do that? One of my goals was to become a much better public speaker. And so in doing the podcast, get to learn about a lot of different businesses, meet a bunch of people. By the time the podcast episode's over, you've made a new friend. But it, while doing it, it's also improving another thing that's in the goal. So I really relate to what you just said with taking one area of your life and helping the other. A bit of a philosophical question I have for you, Jeff, but in your life, you've had obstacles. You seem like somebody that drives right through them. But when do you decide if it's making sense to keep running through obstacles or if it's time to pivot? Is there any advice on that? Well, not mine. You know, there's 7 billion people on this planet, so I don't think I've ever had an original thought. But I'll share one of Brian Tracy's. He said, always ride the horse in the direction that it's going. But if the horse is dead, get off. Sometimes you have to go in a different direction. I have said many times that, well, first of all, had I known now what I know then, it wouldn't take me 15 years to get Advanaclean to market. I mean, literally 1994 to 2009. I bought a company called Rockbox Fitness with two locations, and we achieved in 15 months what it took me 15 years to accomplish in Advantically because we knew what to do. And by the way, now in Homefront Brands, we've acquired in 10 months what it took me 15, 20 years in Advantically to accomplish in terms of scale and revenues and all that. I mean, so, but early on in your career, I've always said, and it's probably going to be my next and last book, it's too stupid to fail. I mean, you've got to stay in the game. You've got to maintain an open mindset. You must be present to win. So there is something to stick to but you also have to, the phrase is, strong beliefs loosely held. And I think early in my career, I had strong beliefs that were tightly held. And this is one guy, he was kind of a building scientist guy, and we hired him. And he was the guy that, you know, after high school, went out to the Caribbean and worked on a sailboat for 10 years. Then he came back and he got into building science and just a really sharp guy. And it was one of the first few weeks we were working together and he's in my office. And he asked me a question about how we were positioning ourselves in the insurance industry and whatever. And he looked at me and he said, that's the stupidest bleeping thing I've ever heard. And, you know, people didn't talk to me like that. And I was like, wow, you know what? I really had a strong belief around that. And I was selling that belief to everybody. And this is how the world is. And he just said, that's not accurate. And a lot of the things that we did strategically 
we had a call center in Atlantic League. We took 250,000 inbound phone calls a year. We booked every appointment for every franchisee. We did that before it was very fashionable to do it. I mean, a couple of big platforms had a call center, but anybody you have, if you asked your attorney, should we do a call center? They say, no, it's risky. Let them answer their own phones. But we knew that we wanted data integrity. We wanted good handles. We did a blue ocean strategy canvas and it said, look, anything that can be centralized, you need to centralize. Technology was in the early, mid 2000s. So uh, Salesforce had just popped up and you could bend it to your will. So there was new technology tools available. So we could do things differently than other franchise companies had traditionally done. And what I learned from that is, man, you know, don't have such pride of ownership about your beliefs. Don't read your own press clippings. Have intellectual humility and question everything. And there's a great phrase that I use often that says, the person who can most accurately describe reality without laying blame shall emerge the leader. So think about that. There's a situation, you get into a room, it was somebody's idea, nobody wants to hurt their feelings, it was somebody else's idea. You know, maybe you've got sunk costs to your point, Dan, you've spent a hundred grand in this initiative. You've got people, processes, and technology going this way. You realize that it's wrong. Okay, well, if you can get in a room and describe reality without laying blame for whose idea it was, and like, what's the first thing people ask? Somebody comes up with something and somebody says, well, whose idea was that? Because I want to have some bias around whether I like it or not. Right. So, you know, we're our own worst enemies. So keeping your eyes clean, that's kind of a football term, you know, don't get dirty eyes. Don't get caught up looking at the wrong things. Keep your eyes clean and have some intellectual humility and hold your strong beliefs held loosely, and that'll help you build a better organization faster because it's all really about iteration. I mean, it really is. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button and make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. It's interesting. In my life right now, I'm going through this specific juncture where what I love, we share a similar love, which for me has been the same since I was 22 years old, which is helping as many people as I can get into business. I just love it. I love it so much. It's what makes me happy. If I had $100 million in the bank, it's what I'd want to do. And I so quickly stick to that and recently had this epiphany of saying, wait a minute, what if you open your horizon a bit more and took it from helping people get into business and then being married to them, meaning helping them open that business and grow it and maybe sell it one day and do that on scale, which right now in my life seems scary or harder or challenging. But 10 years from now, it'll be like simple. Like for you now, you know, probably if you think back to running your previous business was was easy, you know, simpler when you look back. So it's interesting. Christian, your turn. I feel like I've been dominating. No, no, man. Honestly, I've just been listening to all the golden nuggets Jeff's been throwing out here. I mean, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this, take a bunch of notes because there's so many good quotes in there, but they're, they're actually quotes with substance. I mean, sometimes on social media, you see kind of like empty, meaningless platitudes, but everything Jeff said so far has just been total substance. And, you know, I've been there too, where you kind of plateau or you peak out in a certain opportunity, but your pride and your ego and your identity is so attached to that industry. Like I have a background in the financial world and I was thinking, this is going to be where I am the rest of my career. And then franchising found me and I realized, wow, I'm actually a lot more passionate about this, helping people get into business ownership. I've always been around business owners and I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for them. But you need to know when to pivot and when do you keep pushing through and persevering 
But then when do you kind of take a step back and reassess and think, hey, maybe this isn't the path. You know, my overall vision is kind of the same, but I want to help people make an impact, but maybe the method shifts. And so I'm curious, Jeff, I mean, for the audience, I mean, what is a good way to identify when that is? Because there's a dichotomy there. You don't want to quit, but you also need to know when to kind of make that shift. So how do you know? It's always in the numbers. So I was, I'm reading a book right now. I was reading it this weekend. I think it's called Your Next Five Moves or something like that. Really good book referred to me by a really good business builder. And a quote right out of it, it's like, you know, bad managers use words, great managers use numbers. So you have to inform your thinking by real data. And we could talk about strategy and how you turn it and all that kind of stuff. But I think... You know, if you look at some of the really bright, smart things that were done, if you look at Shelly's son with Bright Star Home Care, high level, big six accounting firm, executive person, I believe, looked at it and said, wow, you know, everybody was talking about the aging demographics and the need for care and what was going to happen. Well, she went out and did something about it and was very, very early in home care space. And the market has rewarded her handsomely for her hard work, her dedication, her brilliance, and her vision. Well, she was reading the same reports everybody else was. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could look at the population demographics and see and the trends of it and the trends of family and how families were evolving and whatnot, that people were going to outsource that. You know, everybody wasn't going to be moving in mom and dad into their house anymore. And there was going to be a big market need for that. So maybe even uh, Kevin over there, with Mosquito at Buzzbrands with Mosquito Joe. I saw the Mosquito concept. I'm like, come on. you know. And Kevin, I think, was a Bain guy. So very, very smart. Very smart team. I spent some time with this team while they were building that. And, you know, just smart people. So, you know, none of that was by accident. So I think constantly trying to find that single point of proof within the numbers. Entrepreneurs, like a lot of times we like to go fast. We like to go by feel. We like to lead people and we like to do that. But a good seasoned discipline to the numbers and making sure that you're asking the right questions. My coach told me something great. He said, you know, some people get paid by the hour. Salespeople get paid commission, but leaders get paid by the conversation. And your life will be a kind of a testament to the conversations you have, the people you meet and the books that you read. And to me, that says, open your ears, ask a lot of questions get around people that have seen the future well, understand that you need to dig for information and data. It's all out there. So I don't know that there's a lot of great businesses out there that happen by accident. I mean, obviously that's true. It's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm almost like speechless, honestly. You like Christian speechless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I'm just trying to think of like where to even take that conversation. Chris, do you need a tissue? You have some tears? A little bit. I keep getting goosebumps, man. It's just so undeniably true. (laughs) Businesses don't happen by accident. And you need to be paying attention to those numbers. And, you know, there's a certain element of you need to lead and lead from the front, but you need to be able to look at that data and make decisions based off of that. And, man, that's true. Yeah. I mean, like, we love the sound of our own voice and we love to be right. But, I mean, is the need for something to be true, and that's a Dalio thing, right? Needs to be stronger than your need to be right. And for anybody out there, man, he has a great 28-minute video on YouTube called Principles. And I watched that thing like 50 times, man. It's just, it's really, really good stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess as a transition, a lot of our listeners are 
founders of franchises. We mm. want franchise potential franchise owners listening in, as well as current franchise owners. Can you tell us a bit about Homefront Brands? I believe that's your core or most of your focus. Yes. I'm not sure you've got a lot of things going on, but it is. Yeah, what's going on there? It is. You know, after I sold the business and we kind of created a small family office called Duden Group, my brother, who was washing cars at Schaumburg Toyota when I went to App State. And he was going to the same JUCO that I went to. So he came out, got his driver's license. I think the statute of limitations is over on this, but he came out, got his driver's license in North Carolina, went back home, worked for a year, and then he came back, got in-state tuition. (laughs) So (laughs) kids, you can do that if you have a year to burn. So got in-state tuition at App State. He put himself through college doing the painting business and got a job with Arthur Anderson. And then when Arthur Anderson you know, had their little shredding incident. He took a job with the Carolina Panthers. So he was 16 years with the Panthers. And the last good bit of it was as their chief financial officer. And he helped lead the transaction from the Richardson group to the Tepper family a couple of years ago when the Panthers sold. And after that, and after I had exited Advanta Clean, we got back together. And at first we were like, all right, well, I know that whatever I do, development's going to be a part of it. So I got involved in an advisory capacity with franchise sales organization and a couple other service providers in the industry. I also had invested in the fitness concept, Rockbox, and, and then ultimately we've developed infrared sauna concept and put that on a platform called Thrive More Brands. But after about a year and a half and really taking an investor's posture and an advisor's posture, getting into all these other things, it seemed really a lot harder to me than building a service brand because that's what we knew. And my son who had joined us, he is an economic and finance guy, had been doing some buy-side advisory for a local firm. We looked at each other and we're like, why don't we just do what we do? I mean, let's do what we do and let's not build a business to sell. Let's build a business to build a cash flow business that we can grow, that can be material as part of our portfolio. And that's where we came up with the concept of Homefront Brands. And last November, we acquired our first company and we rebranded it to Window Hero. And since then, we've added five additional companies for a total of six in the portfolio now. So under Homefront Brands, we're really been taking the year just to put our infrastructure in place, build our team, acquire the brands, carefully selected brands, all with unit economics that are material. So we're looking for what's the story? Is the brand authentic? Have they been in business? Have they been doing this a long time? Do they know everything about the business? Who are the leaders? Are they going to continue? Are they not going to continue? Do the unit economics scale? Because it takes just as much to support a $3 million franchise as it does a $300,000 franchise. It takes just as much time and energy. So let's get into businesses where we think that the top line of these businesses can be more material. And then let's do all the things with excellence that we either failed to do or chose not to do in Advanta Clean. And let's put it together from day one. So we've done some very intelligent design around our territories so that What we've ended up with is all of these companies run on exactly the same platforms, which is unusual. It's kind of the only. And we have three different business types. And you can take the business types that go together and stack them right on top of each other in identical territories. So think about it where it used to be, if you want to be an empire builder and advantageously, you've got to get more and more territory and you've got to be geographically dispersed out there where with these businesses, you can be in a territory and you can build a hotel. You know, you can start with the first floor and you can add another one and another one, another one right on top of it. And the leverage that's created on the back end is because we've painfully taken the time and expense to platform all these things so that they go together like that. 
And we're already seeing it with some of our franchisees of some of our brands are acquiring our other our other businesses as soon as we get them into marketplace. And so we're very excited about that. So that's really what we're doing. And we've got another couple of brands under LOI right now that we're working on and everything's going well. But again, it's business is full contact and simplicity scales and complexity fails. But to your point earlier, Dan, there's an extra layer of things that we're dealing with because we are building a multi-brand platform. All the stuff we know and know to do, it's just you know the discipline of making sure that we're getting the right people and the right partners to, to execute on it all. So that's Homefront Brands, and we're very excited about it. It's a long-term hold for us. It's a long-term build, and we have high expectations and aspirations for it. Thank you. I have two questions about the structure. So one is related to the business that you acquired. I'm sorry, are they franchises already or do you find businesses and then franchise them or does it depend on each one? Most of them were already down the path franchising. They were all between five and $10 million systems, basically. And do you, without getting into like the details of your deals, but do you typically try to keep that owner stays on like in the franchise company, like as a brand president or does it depend each time or? It depends. It depends. Actually, one of the things that we're doing is we're attracting good executives from the franchise industry. So to be brand presidents as well and step right in. So it's like we have a team of leaders that are looking to kind of have their best opportunity that they've had in their career. And they've earned the right to have that opportunity. And then we're matching that up with brands that can meet that opportunity. So David Blue, who's the founder of Blumen Estate Sales, they sold that to Best Life Brands. He went there. He's leading one of our brands and bringing it to market. Uh, Todd Bingham, who was the president of FranNet and then was you know key man at Stellar Brands. Over there with Gary Finley. He's leading one of our brands. So we're attracting the kind of people that we want to work with every day and that have proven that they build great brands. They build values first organizations. You know, they're interested in putting the franchisee first and focusing on unit economics, all the things that you'll hear the responsible franchisors talking about. And it's not, there's no shortcuts in it, right? I mean, every franchise that comes in is a jump ball and you got to do everything with them to make them successful. So there's really no shortcuts in it. So people that aligns with who they want to be and what they want to hang their hat on when their career is over. And then also, do very well by themselves and their family. Those are the people that we're looking for. And I've been honored and a little bit just shocked at the kind of calls that I've been getting for people that are interested in what's going on here and wanting to join us. I'm really, really honored by it. I love that. It seems like a central theme of the conversation of your life even is just surround yourself with good people, build strong relationships, and that pays dividends over the long term. You know, not once have You've given off the impression that it's all about money or anything like that, but it's about mission, impact, significance, purpose, building something with the right kind of people and surrounding yourself with people that are wanting to do similar things, take things to the next level in terms of peers, coaches, and then people that you're working with in these brands. So all of that is true, Christian. I think that's a great summary because culture eats strategy for breakfast. But remember what we talked about, execution trumps all. Mm. And, you know, making money is the scorecard. You know, if it makes dollars, it makes sense, right? So, you know, if there is no income, there is no outcome. And those are little sound bites, but like they are true. So part of building responsible companies is making sure that you build profitable companies. They got to be tight, right? I'll give you another one I heard this weekend. It was a quarterback. I was somebody out there, but he said, we got to tighten up, but we can't get up tight. 
<laughs> but I mean, that's it. So like you got to, I mean, you use your culture and you use your values so people can choose whether they want to be part of your team and part of your story and part of your organization's legacy. And you need people that are driven to hit numbers, have outcomes, work hard and all that kind of thing, because that's also part of built, you know, we're a high performance organization. We aspire to be, and we continue to be a high performance organization. And honestly, if I'm going to ask a franchisee to give me half their 401k and 10 years of their life with two five-year renewals, they deserve that. Yeah. Money's the measuring stick. It is. You know, it's the two metrics, happy and profitable. And they won't be happy for long if they're not profitable. Yeah. That other line you said to me last time we talked, Jeff, is sticks with me, which was, I might say it not perfectly, but business is only 1% innovation and 99% execution. Yeah. 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 I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think everyone thinks it's about having the next million dollar idea and everyone has, it seems like everybody has a great idea of some kind. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of nice, but can you build it? Will you build it? And and are you going to go after it? And it's often the people that have, you know, a good idea that execute excellently that really get ahead versus the person that has an excellent idea that just executes just kind of okay or not at all. You know, there's no shortage of great ideas out there and we need them and we need them. And that's one of the reasons I've gotten involved so much around the emerging space is because you get with these people and they're like, wow, that is a great idea. The guys over at QC Kinetics, I mean, great concept. You know, first time I met them, you know, they already had like eight locations that were killing it. So it's not like there was any surprise that they were going to be successful in doing what they're doing. And it was in a new take on an emerging space. And it was a great idea. And Doug uh, Shadle over there at Rhino, I mean, he was the perfect fit for them. And they got together and did a fantastic job with it. So I do like to keep my hand in emerging and, and just to see what's coming down the pipe. Although I do also try to make sure that things that we get involved with fit for us. And, you know, if I can just help people and give them advice and, you know, get them on their way, then, you know, that serves my purpose of encouraging entrepreneurs. And it always comes back down the road somewhere. It's funny, if someone has some of these ideas, I'll take them because I can take something from nothing so fast. I can scale something so fast. But I actually look back, I've been taking inventory in my life. and I don't think I've had any ideas. I've only been <laughs> given ideas and then I run with them. So if you're listening to the show and you want to give me your idea, I'll do it. <laughs> No, but seriously, it's like, think about it. Like, I mean, take like your first business. Did you go into that thinking, I'm going to build this up and I'm going to franchise it and I'm going to sell it and it's going to be worth this much money? Or did you just focus on building a great business at first? So I was focusing on, I mean, putting food on the table. I mean, you know what's $2.10? Two Whoppers, no cheese, no drink, no fry. Yeah. Like that's $2.10 in Winter Park. 1995 parlance. So like we ate a turtle one night, just saying, you know, hard to get that thing out of shorts. But I mean, we needed money. But before we started the company, so we had just had this run in South Florida where we went and got our own jobs and we threw in with a company. We cut our teeth in the restoration business and they were part of the dealership model at the time. And some of the partners there were like, hey, let's partner with these young guys, me and one other guy. And we went to a training in Fort Lauderdale at this dealership model to be one of their dealers. And we were going to pick a market and we were going to be sponsored by these other people and go for it. And I looked at it and I looked at the quality of the work and what was going on there. And 
what I had learned the last 17, 18 months. And I said, no, I'm going to do this. I don't want to be part of it. You know, part of being a franchisor too. And I think it's just part of, you know, we all have our own DNA, but you know, I've always been gigged to kind of create dreams big enough for other people's dreams can fit inside of it. And, you know, I saw what they did and I saw how they did it and I saw what didn't work. If I hadn't had the 18 months experience, I already knew everything that they were going to teach me. Like I'd been doing it. And so there was nothing new I was going to learn from them. So why would I give them money to give them more money and whatever? That was my thinking at the time. But what I have learned is franchising is the greatest business model for wealth creation that's ever been created. And I mean, think about the Panthers. Mr. Richardson, the original owner of the Panthers who started the team, he was Johnny Unitas's tight end. And they were trying to pay him $250 a game and he wanted 500. So he quit and he took his money and he bought a Hardee's and they bought another one. And he ended up with 400 Hardee's, you know, and they put 200 million in the team and sold it for two and a half billion. And, you know, he's in a lot of other things too. So franchising is an incredible wealth creation model for franchisees and franchisors. And there's some systems out there where the franchisees are more valuable than the franchisor collectively. So. I think it's good for everybody, but I do think that, you know, as far as original ideas go to kind of wrap it back around, if you're somebody that wants to, you know, scratch an entrepreneurial itch, create some job security, bet on yourself, all those types of things. Franchising is a great model. You just got to pick the people that you're aligned with that work for you and culturally. And also if you can get into a space that is closely aligned with who you are and what your skills are and things like that, the chance of your success is definitely going to be increased. So, yeah. I love it. I mean, Dan, anything else? I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up, no? Yeah, I just, Jeff, if someone wants to get in touch with you for any reason, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn seems to be the best place. Just put Jeff Duden, J-E-F-F-D-U-D-N.com. You can visit us at Homefront Brands. Or if you want to see some of my podcasts and some of my content and other stuff like that, you can go to dudengroup.com and just select podcasts. And I've got probably 20 or 30 in the can there, different things. Maybe if you'll give me a copy of this, I'll put this up there. Perfect. Yeah, we'll get it to you. And I will tell you that most of what I've talked about lives inside of my book, Discernment. You can buy it on Amazon, just Discernment by Jeff Duden. It's a business athlete's regimen for a great life through better decisions. And what it is is... It's really models of thought. So if you think about somebody who you perceive to be has wisdom, I say in the book, I think kids are just as smart as older people, except the older people just have more life experiences. So, you know, collecting your response and models of thought so that, you know, the next time you see something, it's just, oh, I've seen that before. And here's how I would think about it. Here's how I would go about it. So you take your models of thought, wisdom is models of thought learned over a lifetime applied to present day situations and things in there about the different types of equities, which matter in franchising, like relationship equity and, you know, how you build that, how you burn it, you know, and why it's important. You know, I said early in the podcast that you can make a different decision today and have a different life tomorrow and anything can go to zero and nothing's 100%. And really the way the meter goes from 72 to 78% is based on the quality of the decisions that you make. So how can you make better decisions faster? How can you make better decisions with more consistency? What are the lenses and filters that you use when you're faced with something? That's really what the book is about. I mean, it's not great. It makes a great Christmas tree, you know, leveler outer around the holiday season. 
So you can use it for that. That's what my kids do. Anytime we have to level <laughs> anything out, six copies of discernment come out and they just throw them on the floor. <laughs> That's how they show their love for me, you know. I don't know. All the gold nuggets you've been dropping on this podcast, I think that that book is probably chock full of plenty, plenty more. So people should go ahead and get that. I know I am. Grab a highlighter. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. This has just been an absolute blast. This has been no doubt one of the more most valuable episodes that we've had. So I think our audience will get a lot out of this. So really appreciate you coming on and thanks for tuning in, everyone. I really appreciate it, Dan. Christian, honored to be on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.